New World next week. I'm James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. And I'm James Evan Pilato of MediaMonarchy.com. Your smart device is still a dumb dumpster fire. We got that story. Plus, Pedogate comes calling for Oxfam again. But first, a question. How many shekels does it take to bribe Netanyahu? I think it's a million, apparently. This via Haaretz. Israeli police announced Tuesday that there were sufficient evidence indicating Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu took bribes in two separate cases and acted against public interest. The two cases are so-called Case 1000 and Case 2000. In Case 1000, in which Netanyahu is suspected of accepting lavish gifts from wealthy benefactors in return for advancing their interests, and Case 2000, which alleges that Netanyahu tried to strike a deal that would have provided him with positive coverage in Israel's second largest newspaper, Yedioth Aronoth, in exchange for hurting its free rival, Israel Hayam. According to the cops, in Case 1000, Netanyahu received champagne, cigars, jewelry, clothing by demand and systematically valued at over 1 million shekels or 280,000 fiat American dollars. The gifts he received from the Israeli-American Hollywood big-time producer Arnon Milchin increased significantly once Netanyahu was elected prime minister. Netanyahu responded in a late-night social media post like all the good fevered egos and top presidents do, claiming it was all ludicrous and saying the police chief's comments cast a shadow over the investigation. In the following days, he continued to criticize the cops, including the head of the anti-fraud unit. For more on Arnon Milchin, I recommend an article called The Movie Producer and the Israeli Nuclear Smuggling Ring. James? Yes, indeed. I, I was going to leave it to you to fill in the blanks on Milchin and what uh, Hollywood productions he's been involved in. But uh, with regards to the geopolitical side of this, or the political side anyway, uh, it is interesting to note the Israeli public's reaction to this, at least as being reported by the Jerusalem Post. There's a couple of different polls out right now that show that somewhere between 48 to 50 percent, depending on the poll, of the Israeli public thinks that uh, Netanyahu should resign over these allegations and the, uh, the, the recommendation of indictment. Um, but at the same time, those same polls show that if uh, the, the election were to be held today, the, uh, uh, the Likud party, the Netanyahu's party, would actually gain one seat in the Knesset. So <laughs> there you go. Um, that's how politics works, isn't it? It's just uh, sacrificial lambs and uh, people still voting along party lines. Having said all of that, whatever the political fallout of this is, uh, I think there are obviously deeper questions here about uh, how deep this does go. And the fact that a sitting prime minister would be cutting deals with a newspaper to hurt its rival in return for favorable coverage, that kind of thing, is, I imagine, a lot more common than some people would presume. Um, so it's interesting to see. I'd like to see more details on that. The, the bribery part of it doesn't surprise me as much. Although I should also po uh, say that the J-Post has a article up on what would Netanyahu's Case 1000 trial look like, talking about what it, you know, what what kind of arguments they'd be making in court and what the defense would, would say. And uh, they'd say, well, the defense would say, uh, in, in, in Netanyahu's defense, Milchin and him have been friends for 20-plus years, well before Netanyahu was gunning for prime minister. So it, this isn't, you know, some sort of political thing. It's just a friendship. Actually, to me, that raises even deeper questions. I'm sure that is what they would say in court. But to me, isn't that, isn't that even more kind of insidious in a way? Okay, so you've got this big-time Hollywood producer cavorting with uh, Netanyahu, who then becomes a big political big shot. 
and they they do their back scratching back and forth and uh, helped him get a U.S. visa and things like this. So I don't know. It, it gets even stinkier, I think, um, when you look at their their possible defense. But uh, I'm. I don't know. I mean, I don't have my finger on the pulse of what's happening in the Israeli political situation, so I don't know. But I, I, I'm not holding my breath for this to eventuate in actual charges or for Netanyahu to step down. I just don't see that happening. But hey, I hope I'm wrong. I see what you did there, gunning for prime minister. You're making a joke about Israeli terror. I, I see what you did. <laughs> <laughs> you got me. In a lot of ways, this looks like it looks like a Trump. It looks like a Berlusconi. It looks like a Bloomberg, a Hearst, if you will. It's all these sort of, again, kind of fevered egos, you know, manipulating control over all their sort of their media fields and all their, you know, their kingdoms, as it were. James, we could have pretty much put together an entire New World Next Week episode on the sort of the third rail of geopolitics, Israel. And we could have included these two other stories I'll briefly include here in the related notes, and that is the ongoing Lord saga, the consequences of boycotting Israel. Of course, hugely popular international singer Lord recently canceled her upcoming Israel show, and I think the the blowback is continuing to build, and of course it all goes on on social media and worse. Believe it or not, I'm actually seeing Lord here in Portland next month. Why? Because Run the Jewels are the openers. The other story to include, James, Al-Qaeda leader praises Israeli strike on Syria. Now, this is from like The Onion or one of those satirical fake news sites, right? No. <laughs> no, no comment. I'll move oh, on. Oh, uh, well, I mean, no comment other than to say, of course. I mean, LCIADA loves when Israel strikes Syria. That's the whole point of what's going on in Syria. So, yeah, no, no surprise, but it's good to have that in confirmation and not from the onion, from, you know, respectable, respectable news outlets. Uh, IsraelNationalNews.com in this case, and we will include the links to that in the show notes, just like we include the links to everything that we mention in these episodes. This is episode 337 of New World Next Week for February 15th, 2018. And in the latest example of NGOs and private contractors being connected to human trafficking, British aid organization Oxfam faced fresh pressure on Tuesday after a former senior member of staff said her concerns about, quote, a culture of sexual abuse, end quote, involving aid workers had not been taken seriously by the charity's bosses. The headline UK's Oxfam faces more pressure after new report of sex abuse by aid workers. So Helen Evans' statement deepened the scandal around one of the best-known international NGOs, which has aid programs running across the globe. Separately, the chairman of Oxfam's international umbrella group, Juan Alberto Fuentes, was arrested on Tuesday in his home country of Guatemala as part of a corruption investigation unrelated to the charity's work. Meanwhile, Evans, who was in charge of investigating allegations against Oxfam staff members between 2012 and 2015, told Channel 4 television that abuse cases she had heard of included a woman who had been coerced into having sex in exchange for aid. And it pretty much gets worse after that, which is included in the full lengths of these articles. The deputy head of the charity resigned on Monday, saying Oxfam had failed to adequately respond to past allegations of sexual misconduct by some staff in Chad and Haiti. Prostitution is a crime in Haiti, but it was not entirely clear what other crimes the Oxfam officials may have committed. Oxfam officials in Haiti were not immediately available for comment during the country's carnival holiday, of course. The scandals are ex escalating into a broader crisis for Britain's aid sector, 
by bolstering critics in the ruling conservative party who believe the government should reduce spending on aid in favor of domestic priorities. So, James, interestingly enough, I think this seems to keep building up. Oxfam could lose funding over allegations. It exploited disaster victims for sex. It's pretty gross. Uh, extremely disgusting. Um, and this is the part where we could bring in all of the surrounding context and history of various aid and, uh, and emergency help and rescue and how these things consistently go, go wrong somehow or other and Red Cross siphoning off money for disaster victims for its other purposes or, um, the UN, um, peacekeepers being consistently charged in country after country of raping, uh, young boys and girls in those countries. So th these types of things happen over and over. So I don't want to just shrug my shoulders and say, well, no surprise, but um, but at this point, it is a pattern. Um, but I think the other side of this is well, then uh, what's our what's our role in this? What can we do about this? And in a in in a world where these aid agencies were delivering delivering charity on the behalf of people who were solely contributing to them, then the answer is easy: you never shop in an Oxfam store again. You never give them another penny of your money ever, ever, ever again, uh, and they go away. But of course, that wouldn't happen in this world because of course they are funded to the tunes of millions and millions of dollars by various governments including in this case the uk government so uh the government's uh, extorting you for the tax and then giving it to aid workers quote unquote who go around you know raping people in other countries for uh services this is just this is the way it goes and that's i think and how do you root out that problem again if it was us directly just cutting our any any association with groups like this, it could be done. But unfortunately, it's through the government. So what do you do about that? Oh, vote in a different party, and they, you know maybe they won't give money to Oxfam. Uh, you know, it's just it's uh, it's the type of thing where there is no solution because government is the problem. Yeah, that's true. I think you know we've talked many times about the food world order is some of the easiest ways you can actually kind of make those decisions. I don't drink soda. You can stop eating that food. That has a real big effect. And you can see that that's had a real big effect in the world. Much harder situation here, James. And I think just like we were talking about last week, this isn't one of those situations again. Where we go, oh yeah, no, yeah. Oh yeah. No surprise. We know they all do that. And I don't think this has that to it because I don't, you know, because of the abhorrent, disgusting nature of it. People don't talk about it as much. It's a little bit easier to go, oh, yeah, CIA on TV. That's a little bit more, I suppose, of an easier talking point, I guess. Speaking of TV, James, our third and final story this week. It's a terrible segue, but you got to do it sometimes. Your smart TV remains a privacy and security dumpster fire. This via the always interesting tech dirt. It has been pretty well established that the security and privacy of most Internet of Things devices is decidedly half-assed. Millions of new attack vectors being introduced daily, including easily hacked smart kettles, door locks, refrigerators, power outlets, Barbie dolls. I even covered the new hands-free smart stroller, the Smart Bee, on the show the other morning, which, again, speaking of The Onion, really seems like a parody. Smart televisions have long been part of this conversation where security standards and privacy have also taken a backseat to blind G-wizzery. Numerous set vendors have already been caught hoovering up private conversations or transmitting private user data unencrypted to the cloud. Speaking of G-Wizardry, one study last year surmised that around 90% of smart televisions can be hacked remotely, something intelligence agencies, private contractors, and other hackers are, of course, eager to take advantage of. Consumer Reports have pretty much steps into the fray now. 
This week released a study suggesting that things aren't really improving. They're working actually to add and expand inclusion of privacy and security in their product reviews. They looked at numerous streaming devices and smart TVs from numerous vendors. What they found is more of the same. Companies that don't clearly disclose what consumer data is being collected and sold aren't adequately encrypting the data that they collect and still don't seem to care that their devices leave their customers' holes open to attack. We will include the link. Consumer Reports, Samsung and Roku, smart TVs vulnerable to hacking. And as one of the comments notes, I think it's on the Consumer Reports link, James, a secure Wi-Fi network at home might go a really long way in stopping a lot of these problems. Also, not buying spyware devices would also help a little bit, too. Ding, 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 bingo. Yeah, yeah. Don't buy the spying devices in the first place. That is the the most important part of this because it is a, it is a slippery slope, and we are watching it happen now. It's like, oh, it's smart TV. Okay, well, it's, it's handy. Oh, well, I need that smart coffee maker because I don't want to get up and and not have a coffee ready for me so I can just do it from bed. Uh, why, you know, maybe I need an app to monitor my heart rate while I'm sleeping so I can find out, you know, if I have any sleeping abnormal. Maybe I need a smart toaster. I need a smart dishwasher. I need a smart fridge. I need, and it just snowballs from there. And if you think that's, if you think I'm making, just exaggerating here, I will direct you to a very interesting Gizmodo article that just uh, came out, The House That Spied On Me that uh, is about this reporter who who tried to, she, her goal was to try to go smart absolutely everything that she could possibly have in her home, make everything a smart appliance, and then see how much of this information is being sent out and to various companies and ha- you know how much someone who uh, wants to know about you could find out about you from all of this information that's leaking out. And it was, it's horrifying. It, it's truly horrifying to read. And so again, this is, exactly as we were talking about before. This is something that you do have control over, at least at this point. You do not have to have the smart everything. You do not have to have a smart TV and smart everything else watching everything you do at all times. And I think that's the takeaway from this. If you have it, just know you are welcoming Big Brother into your home with open arms. And uh, I know, personally, I'm not interested in that. James, you mentioned a smart coffee maker. It's like, what? What benefit? What could that do? And, and and I'm reminded it was almost 23 years ago when I first went away to college. My amazing late now grandmother took me to the store and bought me some things I needed for college. One of those things was a coffee maker with a timer. You set the coffee and you set the timer and it kicks on in the morning. And that's how I. Wait, you don't need coffee. an app on your phone so you can do it from bed? Nope. I mean, come on. <sighs> So there you have it, James. I think that wraps up a good, uh, maybe not exactly good news there at the end of uh, New World Next Week episode. And I'll maybe do a deprogramming note here as I announced on my own morning show earlier this week. It is official. We are definitely relocating to the Southwest, which means Media Monarchy might be pretty dark through the month of March. More on that at MediaMonarchy.com, which, again, I'm making independent, non-commercial alternative media for 12 plus years and going. And I would appreciate your support. James. All right. Excellent. Well, I hope people are listening to the uh, Morning Monarchy and pump up the volume every day. And if they're not, please subscribe to James's feeds. And I think that's going to do it for this week. James, talk to you next week. Thanks, buddy. Take care.